0: Welcome back to Plan Wisely with Eric Garcia. I am former New Orleans radio DJ John Jack Gay, and we're joined uh, today by a special guest, as always, Eric. You know, it's carnival time down there. It's also tax time down there. It's it's tax time everywhere, Jag. not just down here. That's fair. Um, (laughs) You know, during the Halloween season, we see all those little spirit stores pop up in all the strip malls everywhere. And sometimes in tax season, we see those tax stores pop up everywhere just the same way. So there's some similarities there. Yeah, all, all, the,
1: all the spirit stores are dressing up as tax preparation places right now. That's right. <laughs> I think every square inch of available retail space is a uh, tax prep place, even at Walmart,
0: right? You get people standing outside in hot costumes, spinning you know wheels and stuff, and trying to get people to walk inside. Yep.
1: Yeah, so with that, it is tax time, uh, not Halloween time, and carnival time. Actually, I don't think anyone in New Orleans is really thinking about taxes right now, except maybe CPAs. So with that, we actually have a CPA with us today, Roy Taylor. Roy is a partner at Taylor & Willis with offices in Metairie and in Slidell. And Roy works closely with small businesses, I know, because I personally, in full disclosure, work with Roy, and Roy's been doing my taxes for a, a long time. Roy, I appreciate you taking a break from Mardi Gras and tax time to come join us.
2: Good afternoon. Yes, actually, it's pretty funny that we really, unlike most of the country, We really don't get ramped up for tax season until after Mardi Gras. So we've gone to conventions where in other parts of the country where people are slammed in the beginning of February. Depending on how tax season's falling for us is really dictated by Mardi Gras. And unfortunately, if it's too close to St. Patrick's Day, then essentially we've got a full tax season that we can cram out in about 30 days. Yikes. So uh, it's a tough time of year for us, but it's a great city, and we do what we do because of that. So do you like early Mardi Gras or late Mardi Gras? Early Mardi Gras. Early Mardi Gras. Because it gets it out the way. No one is focused on taxes. No one is prepared. No one has any records. Technically, I don't even think we exist right now (laughs) uh, unless someone thinks they're getting a bunch of money back. But outside of that, if they've got a big refund, they're looking. But at the end of the day, most of you small business owners and things like that are really just trying to close year-end books and trying to get in a position to figure out where they are, and we'll see those guys uh, at the end of February.
0: Trying to make all that money back for the throws, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I always find, too, that one of the problems with tax season, well, there's a lot of problems with tax seasons, right? We're going to find all kinds of problems. One of the problems is it's in the spring, So, like, I think every year for the past six years, I've tried to get you to play in a golf tournament that's in the spring. I can never get you to come because you're always filing corporate tax returns.
2: Well, try to tell it to my son, who's a big baseball player. So he enjoys playing baseball. He's 10. But at the end of the day, a lot of games will make I'll make all of his games. But with it becomes a lot of late nights. But that's all in the spring. And that's what we do. What we signed up for.
1: Speaking of late nights, one of my favorite articles that I read several years back, and for some reason I always turn to it during tax season, but I'm always reminded by it. The title is Your Overworked Accountant Eats
2: Like a College Freshman During Tax Time. Is that true? That's true. Actually, we start early January with pots of coffee and a lot of granola bars, pizza. New Orleans, we have king cake. So, king cake. So, everybody sends us out of pity. They send us king cakes, and of course, we (laughs) indulge in. That's why we're all uh, overweight, and we'll all have heart attacks and strokes by the time we're in our 60s. Any uh, ramen noodles there, Roy? Uh, No ramen noodles. The younger staff would definitely eat that, but I think I'm past that on my days, hopefully. Hopefully, I never have to go back to that. I can
0: never eat ramen noodles again after living on them in college, so I feel your (laughs) pain. (laughs) So do you all have like a king cake a day at your Uh, place?
2: Typically, we try to limit it to one a week. It doesn't help that Randazzo's is in your like parking lot. Correct, and it doesn't help oh, that people geez. show up as they feel sorry for bringing things in, especially when tax season really starts picking up. People feel sorry for bringing their things in at the last minute, and as a reward or as a gift, they bring a king cake, which at some points we'll have as many as probably five or six sitting on the counter. Oh my gosh! We we'll make sure people take them home. That's insane. Uh, donuts in the morning. Roy, I'm sorry I have all my receipts for the entire year in the shoebox for you to comb
0: through, but I brought you Randazzo's King Cake. Exactly, exactly. Good brain food. I'm going to bring you an avocado.
1: Right. When I bring you my stuff, I'm going to bring you an avocado for your brain food.
2: That will probably sit on the counter and go bad. i got to be honest with you. (laughs)
1: Well, well, anyway, as a financial planner, a lot of my work obviously intersects with Roy's work as a CPA. Uh, A lot of the advice that I give, there's tax implications. I'm not a trained CPA, so... Uh, it's always good to have someone who knows their industry and knows their industry well to balance ideas off. And Roy and I, we actually find ourselves often uh, working together
2: with clients just to make sure the advice we give makes a lot of sense. So, Well, one thing to step back a minute, Eric, and talk about what you were saying is financial advisory services or CPAs, how are we different? How do we work? A lot of times the public in general thinks that we pretty much do the same thing. I think I know you've gotten questions and they think that you're understanding their tax situation same way when I get stuff that from a financial advisor that it's finished already. We're finished by the time we get the form. So it's really important that if you have a financial advisor that you're also working with a CPA or at least that those guys are working together. Once January comes, if there was something made that has some tax implications, there's very little anybody can do, and we yeah. see that a lot. People come in and say, well, this generates a big tax bill. I wouldn't necessarily have done this if I would have known that I would have had pay tax on it, and vice versa. CPAs a lot of times will come out and give some advice to save taxes, but may not be the best financially sound decisions to make. And I think that's important that the financial advisor and the CPA are really on the same page when we come into the tax planning, the financial planning for your future, all those things really f- do feed together, but they're not independent of each other. Yeah. And to operate in a vacuum or operate in a silo is really difficult for anybody if you don't know what's going on on the other side. That's a really good point. And I get that question
1: often like, what's the difference between you and the CPA? Like, doesn't my CPA do what you do? And, and I typically say, and this is a generalization, because it's not true of all CPAs, but CPAs and accountants typically are looking backwards. It's like what happened yesterday, where
2: planners are typically looking forward. What are we going to do tomorrow? Mm. And that's where it's important that the collaboration comes together, because then for tax planning purposes, you have to look forward. And that's where it's really important that you have a good relationship with your financial advisor, with your CPA. And moving forward, you can expect these things. I always say it's one thing to know that you owe $20,000 to the IRS. It's another thing to be surprised on April 10th there was a very big difference between the two.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So with that, let's jump into our topic. And our topic today is the gig economy. These are some interesting stats that nearly 42 million Americans were classified as independent freelancers or contractors in 2018 with 3.3 million reporting income of more than $100,000 a year. The gig economy is here to stay. These are self-employed people working for themselves. They have left the paycheck or, or maybe not totally left, but have some have left the paycheck to paycheck lifestyle of corporate America, or working for a company. And now they're in the grind of working project to project. The gig economy, it, it's a labor market characterized by short term contracts or, or freelance work as opposed to permanent jobs. Now, what's interesting is a lot of these gigs actually lead to permanent jobs or lead to
2: permanent careers. Correct. I don't think anybody ever really starts out and says, I want to do this on the side. Sometimes they start out on the side, make a little bit of extra money. But I think the end goal for most of these people is to come in and be able to make a full-time living at what they do. What we're really seeing in the economy, and especially with the gig economy, is people like their freedom. We're seeing that with the new generation. Mm -hmm. And from a tax standpoint, there's a lot of things that go with that. When you make that transition from an employee, whether it's a part-time employee or a full-time employee, and when you leave and go out on your own, there's a lot of things. The burden of accounting and the burden of your tracking your expenses and your money really becomes your job. You're running a company, and that's the way that the IRS would look at it. This is not a hobby.
1: Jack, that's kind of your experience, right?
0: So yeah, that was my experience, Eric and Roy, where I was a radio DJ for 15 years. I could file my taxes online with a W-2 in an afternoon, and it was super easy. Easy peasy, man. Easy peasy. Yeah, I got out of that. And then uh, when I was done with radio, I did a lot of side hustles between DJing weddings and hosting bar trivia and starting the podcast stuff. And the podcast side really grew into being my full-time income and my full-time business. And now I have the tax burden and the responsibility to track everything. And my wife, who works in corporate finance, God bless her, our running joke is that she's the CFO of the company because she helps keep me keep in line with putting money away. And we've got Excel spreadsheets. Yeah. I know some people use QuickBooks and things like that, but it really is a challenge and it's been a steep learning curve for me.
1: Yeah, and that's a big part of the gig economies. What happens is the risk now shifts from... The company to the individual and and what are the, what are these risks that we're talking about y'all have already mentioned these and we're going to get into these more specifically here in a minute but the risk of
2: taxes providing benefits if you have employees correct if you have employees <laughs> all of the filings that happen a lot of this stuff people think sort of happens in a vacuum but the reality of it it's is like magic there's a lot of work that goes on on yeah. the back end that they don't see and then
1: Tools and equipment, right? Typically, like if you're working for a company, if I need something, the company's going to provide it for me. Now you're on your own. Mm-hmm. Let's just kind of hit on, and I think most people kind of know and have an idea of what some of these gigs are in the gig economy, but let me just kind of throw some out there. And really, we're just talking about self employed people. Now, there's one really important differentiation I, w- I want to make here there's hobbies and then there's legitimate profit motive type businesses. I'll give you an example. We... We years ago did an entrepreneur fest with our kids, and we developed this spice blend, and people love it, and we'll make it, and they'll, you know, we sell it to them. But it's a hobby. We, I mean, we don't, we lose money on it. We can't write it off. There's no profit
2: motive. That these gigs need to have a profit motive, right? Correct. The biggest thing with the hobby was always you had to itemize first of all. So your hobby expenses and those sort of things were typically seen on a Schedule A. It was an itemized deduction. Those with the Tax Reform Act actually went away, and you could always take. Expenses up to the income you could never generate a loss with a hobby But unlike a business motive or a business venture that can actually generate a loss and that's reported on a separate Schedule on the individual tax return depending on the type of entities and there's a lot of things involved yeah. As far as the setup of the initial entity yeah, the IRS doesn't like you losing money every year every No, but, year, but at the end of right? the day if you can prove that you're trying to do it That's yeah. ultimately we need to show a profit motive. Yeah, so we think of things like uber drivers
1: like ride-sharing, any any ride-sharing, you know, Lyft, Uber, Airbnb, Amazon resellers. Yeah. Uh, a lot of marketing consultants these days. These are these are side
2: hustles. Uh, we're seeing more and more people leave sales positions, becoming more independent sales, working yeah. on the outside sales for companies. They want to scale those, those salary dollars back. They want to change their structure of the companies. Yeah. So we're seeing these people cross over industries as well. And what's interesting is we've actually got people that may be working two or three different jobs but they've got the freedom and the flexibility they've always looked for that they don't typically have with a traditional 8 to 5 or 9 to 5 job and you know along with that freedom
1: and flexibility it creates some problems for these new small business owners who've never had the burden
2: so um, it creates a responsibility, really, yeah. to track what you're doing. The IRS, or the, for when it comes to tax time, I didn't know any better, is typically not a very good defense.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. So you have people who otherwise traditionally have never worked with a CPA. In fact, let's talk about that really quick, and then we'll talk about sure. those common problems. Here's Jag. Jag's a radio host, and he's like, man, I'm done with this radio thing. This is for the birds, man. And he's going to start his podcasting side hustle, side gig. When does Jag come say,
2: I need help. I need a CPA. I need to hire somebody. So this is the trickiest part. What we would typically recommend, if someone that's got a W-2, that's simple. They can really do that on their own. Even if you've got a home with some mortgage interest, things like that, those are things that people can typically tackle on their own. Yeah. The challenge you get into is when you start getting into the side businesses, you buy real estate, especially rental real estate. All of these rules start changing, and that's where people can really leave a lot of money on the table and not able to take advantage of the deductions that are available to them if they would have consulted with preferably a CPA. The biggest thing that people are aware of is their income. People have always paid income tax. They're fairly familiar with it. They know that whatever I make, I'm going to have to pay 15% or 20% on, and that's the easy part. The challenging part is, and when we talk about self-employed individuals, is this little thing that sneaks up on them called self-employment tax. Oh, yes. That's typically where people get themselves in problems.
1: So that's our, our number one common problem is that right there. It's like, ah, self what I did not know. What is even self-employment tax? What, Correct. What, what is self-employment tax? So Roy? when
2: you think of it from a company standpoint, when you work for a company and got a W-2, The company withheld Social Security and Medicare on your behalf and remitted it to the government. And And that's typically line item on my
1: pay stub, right? I can see that. Correct.
2: And what happens when you become self-employed, you get to deduct, just like the company deducted their contribution, but ultimately self-employment tax is just another word for Social Security and Medicare. You are essentially have to pay those taxes in full. So that tax burden really comes out of you. Once again, you're self-employed. You're a business. And we get that a lot. People come in their first year out. That's always the scariest part. And I can almost guarantee when a new client comes in, first time, I make about what I made last year, but I transition from a W-2 to a 1099, which means I'm self-employed. I can almost guarantee that we will have a tax problem or a tax liability. And it's unprepared. I want to jump in for a second here,
0: Roy, because you are preaching to the choir. So I started my company toward the end of 2018, and my wife and I were able to do the taxes because it was only a couple months' worth in 2018. But for 2019, I had the uh, self-employment tax for the entire year. So now we've gone to a CPA. I'm in here in Michigan, and you guys are in Louisiana. But I know in Michigan, what we found out was that the total tax, when you add in self-employment federal, state, all that stuff, is going to be 42% of my net revenue. Yes. And so- Mm -hmm. What I've had to do is when I get a check from a client, if a client sends me a check for, say, a thousand dollars, I've got to really pull a good four hundred dollars aside. You know, and if I'm doing apples to apples and farmers what I've made on my own versus what I made in radio, It's not apples to apples because I need to account for the fact that I'm paying a higher tax than what I was paying from what I made uh, when I was working for the man.
2: Correct. The biggest thing that we really run into is when we come to figure out, well, how much do I owe? People really can't wrap their heads around that. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, people really don't know what their profit is, especially the first year out. They're not familiar with terms. Yeah. So we would always say, take your top number, your revenue, and expect about a 30%. So anything that comes in the door is if you've got $10,000 driving for Uber, you can expect realistically a $3,000 tax bill. Now, that's not inclusive of expenses, but the 30% will kind of get us where we need to be for ballpark. So we're kicking around some things here. Let's put an actual dollar amount, not dollar amount, but a
1: percentage, right? We're talking about unemployment tax. So you said, when I work for a company, they pay half of my tax and I pay half of the tax, right? Correct. That Social Security and Medicare. Correct. Right. So now that I'm on my own, what is that percentage? What am I paying? 15%. 15%. Yes. Okay, so like, if I'm making the same now as a 1099 employee or as a self-contractor, yes. then it's going to cost me right off the top 15% more. Easily. Easily. Yeah. yeah. Oh,
2: cool. And it's based on the profit of the company as well. So keep that in mind. It's not based on gross revenue. It's not based on what came in the door. It's what you made after expenses. That's a really good equation you made a minute ago, Roy, that it's you know roughly 40 plus percent
0: of the net. If you take 30% of the gross, those numbers are going to be pretty close after you factor in expenses. I like that 30% rule. It's
2: easy to do, and it's easy to track throughout the year. The other challenging part that we get, unfortunately, is people a lot of times aren't aware of what expenses that are really deductible. What can I deduct? And we find that out. The question actually shows up in February or March, and they've been doing this for 10, 11 months at the time. It's very difficult to go back and get that information and try to track those expenses. So it's very important that that's done on the front end. And that's
1: one of the problems that people face right here is like, what do I write off? It actually manifests itself more like, I, well, I wrote off, I can write off everything. I'm a business owner, right? So, Correct. So you start to see people writing off like, <laughs> well, I office out of my house. So I'm going to write off my mortgage and
2: I drive my car. Car everywhere, so I'm going to write off my car, right? So you start... Correct. And it's got to be business use of all of this. That's really what we look to is what is the business use? If you have a house, we'll see a lot of times for a home office. Well, I use my dining room. Well, that's a big expense because it's a big portion of your house probably. But unfortunately, the dining room is probably not the best place for a home office. So we do see a, those. That happens a good bit where the question, and let's go back to why do I need a CPA they can help guide you on those expenses. There's a lot of technology out there available to track mileage. There's technology out there to track expenses. You can take pictures of receipts with your cell phone. It can track all of these things. So given today's technology that's in place, there's a lot of tools available to the small business owner to help manage all of that information. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. And this is kind of one of my questions,
1: kind of my litmus test of like decisions I make from a tax standpoint is like, I don't want to give any red flag to the IRS. Like I want to do everything clean. And like if if it even gives the perception of red flag, I just don't want to deal with the hassle of an audit. And home offices tend to
2: be kind of one of those red flags, right? Is that something that may... There's a lot of talk of that. I believe that the home office was one that is definitely accessible to use. I believe you need to use the deduction if it's valid. And I don't necessarily believe that you give up a deduction just because it may draw somebody's attention. But the point is, it needs to be valid and you need to keep good records. Correct. Right? It's important to keep that in mind. These are business expenses and how you do your record-keeping alone can actually help or hurt you in an audit. If you run everything through your company checking account, you pay for your home mortgage, you pay for everything for your kids. The problem is when the IRS wants to audit, even if you don't deduct it, those expenses come into question. Yeah. So it leaves some, some wiggle room for them. The question expenses that may be personal in nature, whereas if you did a good job keeping the records separate then odds are the outcome is a lot cleaner because it's easier on everybody to go through that process.
0: Stuff that I do, Roy. So in my home office, I have an office upstairs, a dedicated space that I use to edit podcasts. And I have the studio space where you guys see me now. And it's also, as you can see, a dedicated workspace. And it's the only part of the house, a dedicated workspace. And I also keep a personal checking account and a business checking account I'll move between the two, but I'll make sure all the business expenses come out of the business yep. account, all the personal expenses come out of the personal account.
2: That's correct. And that makes it easier for everybody. It makes it easy for you to figure out where are you. A lot of times, mid-year, if we're looking at what am I going to owe in taxes at the end of June, if the accounting is not clean, there's a lot of work that has to be done to clean it up, you really don't have an idea of where you are. Yeah. And that's what we try to avoid. Another problem we see, and this kind of
1: goes back to the first problem we talked about of paying the self-employment taxes, the fact that, and you alluded to this earlier, is that when you're self-employed, you really need to be paying as you go.
2: Correct. There are estimated tax payments that will be made. There's a couple of different ways to do it. Essentially, a lot of people will pick a safe harbor estimate, and this is a way to calculate what your estimates would be. It doesn't mean you won't owe taxes the next year, but ultimately you're trying to avoid any underpayment or late payment penalties. That's what we're trying to do with the estimated tax payments. Because
1: the worst thing is having no idea. It's a lot easier to pay $3,000 a quarter versus $12,000 in April.
2: Correct. Right? It's also a lot different to know that you're going to owe the 12000 yeah. in April than be surprised once again. That's the biggest thing that we really focus on and try to prevent. And not just the tax bill, but if you're not paying quarterly, you could have potential penalties. You would have penalties, yeah. underpayment penalties. Not even potential. You will have penalties. The other challenge you get into is if you're not making quarterlies, you could, depending on how the company is doing, you're using today's dollars to pay for yesterday's taxes. And we do see people that are really doing well they don't put away money for taxes, all of a sudden something happens on the company side, the income comes down, and next thing you know, they don't have money to pay their taxes from last year. And I'll tell you, from a planning point in
1: my world, what I see is maybe they have the money, but they're taking it from, oh, you know, I was going to make a contribution to my IRA this year, but I owe you know $6,000 in taxes, so I can't make that contribution. So that lack of planning really, uh, again, we look at the risk, right? The risk is coming back to them. They're responsible now for saving for their retirement. That's correct. Yeah. And that's, that's a big shift. And we're yeah. seeing more and more of it. So another problem is, and I see this, and I hear this, it manifests itself multiple ways, this idea of, well, I didn't report my cash payments. So a lot of these gigs, you're getting paid in cash. Yeah. I think that there's a stat that says self-employment people only report the right amount of income 42% of the time. I believe that. Yes. You believe that?
2: Especially on cash businesses.
1: <laughs> Here's how I see the problem with that is, number one, when we're doing retirement planning and they're complaining about, oh, look at my Social Security. It's going to be terrible. Like It's so low. Social Security sucks. Well, I get that and, and I'm sympathetic to a certain degree with that, but
2: you're not reporting all your income. That's a problem. Correct. And the other side of it is, once again, we're talking about small businesses and You ultimately want to grow. At some point, most small businesses will need to go out. They'll need to secure a line of credit or get some debt, borrow some money from a bank. And the problem is the bank doesn't take, well, I make a lot of cash and I don't report it. They don't like that. They don't like that. that. Uh, So the answer is if you want to grow a company, typically you have to show that one, I make money, I'm responsible with it, and that I can pay you back. Just when you borrow from your uncle, he wants his money back. The bank's the same way.
1: (laughs) And along that same line is, Maybe you're not looking to get a loan from a bank, but maybe you're building something that you can sell one day. Yeah. And if it's all non-reportable
2: income, or a lot of it's non-reportable income, you don't have that value there that you thought you did. The valuation comes down considerably. And we talked a little bit about this. This is somewhat relevant, but BP, we had the BP oil spill. A lot of the fishermen and a lot of the people that were focused in that industry, these guys were cash businesses. They didn't report their income. When it came time to pay out and give them basically for damages that they received, they couldn't prove that they had really received any money. So it was a pretty smart move. BP says, hey, we will pay you based on what you've earned historically. Mm-hmm. But if I've huh. never reported it, I didn't earn anything historically, and there are some yeah. issues with that.
0: I'm really glad you're saying this, Roy, because I think as a small business owner, there's that temptation. Well, I did this gig for this guy, and he just paid me cash, so there's no way for the IRS to have a record of that. I don't need to report that and pay taxes on it. But you really are doing yourself a disservice in the long run because all the things you just mentioned, insurance reasons, valuation reasons, you know, calculating your earnings for Social Security later in life – You know, it's a short term pain for a long term gain to make sure you track and report everything. And
1: it's really hard to make retirement plan contributions with income that doesn't exist. Correct. Because if, (laughs) like, there's no justification for that. I've actually. Well,
0: where'd that money come from? I just pulled it out of the sky and put it in my 401 uh, in my IRA. Like, I've had
1: cases where it's like, I can't work with you. Right. I can't work with you. I just can't because the ethics that I have to work by in my industry with my licenses and my my certification, like, it doesn't happen regularly. But it's
2: happened with, sure. with some uh, with some folks. And the other side of it is based on the type of company, and this is a little bit in the weeds, but depending on how you're set up, you could actually limit what you could contribute to your retirement plan by hitting certain thresholds. Yeah. If you don't have the profit, things like that, that's going to really limit. You don't have the compensation. That's going to limit what you can put away for retirement. That's also a good reason to work with the
1: financial planner along with the CPA because there have been times where, Roy, you and I have collaborated on ways to help clients be able to maximize without impacting Their tax liability. So the last common problem that I want to hit on, and then we'll we'll bring this to an end, is you know you hear people say, well, I didn't file on time, or I've never filed my taxes. Oh my gosh, I see crazy. I see so many small business owners who started off as side hustles who haven't filed taxes in five, six, seven years. Oh my god.
2: Yes, and the idea is that well, I can't pay it, so therefore. I'll just wait and file it. I mean, we have people that literally will be sitting on tax returns that they have taken home to paper file and just simply did not mail it in because they could not afford to do that. Wow. And the IRS is not a debtor that you want. No, the IRS is someone, they have definitely ways to come collect their money. The other side of it is the state. A lot of times people forget about the states and, the state tax returns are piggybacked on the federal tax returns, and the states have gotten very aggressive with their collection acts. I had a state auditor
1: call me the other
2: day. They walked into
1: one of the businesses that we own. They walked into it and they they're asking one of my staff about how many staff do we have. So then I get a call and I'm like, "How do I know you work? You're asking me some questions. How do I know who you are?" So once I verified who they were, but they were they were looking for this very thing about. Um, We talk about the risk of like, how many employees do you have? You're holding taxes, all those things to make sure that we're filing properly.
2: And the government is definitely going to, if you do have employees, they're definitely going to side on the side of the employee. So that's a big piece. If you do have employees, make sure you're doing what's right. Payroll taxes are one of the first things that companies stop paying That's a big no-no. That's not your money. That's the employee's money that you withheld. Mm. Yeah, so filing on
1: time is, uh, or not filing on time is a common problem. So let's go ahead and kind of bring this to a head here, Roy. Give us, uh, since it is tax time, I'm a small business owner. I've never worked with a CPA before, and it's kind of intimidating. Give me a couple pointers. What
2: should I be doing right now? So a couple of things would be to get organized. Get your records together. Make sure they're clean. We're always happy to take your shoebox of records, but remember, (laughs) we're also going to charge you to go through that shoebox of records. Mm
0: -hmm. If you're charging by the hour, it's going to take a lot more to go through a shoebox than an organized uh, Excel spreadsheet. Correct.
2: The more organized you are, the less your bill will be. Correct. The other side of it is, get in early. Don't wait till the last minute. When people show up on the 10th of April, I mean, it's very difficult to be able to do anything. The reality of it is you don't want me doing your tax return on the 10th of April. Right. Uh, We're working 60, 70-hour weeks at this point, especially down in New Orleans because of our compressed party atmosphere. Our time windows are a bit compressed, and not that we are out partying every night, (laughs) but anyway.
0: Many of your clients are, and they're not getting their taxes ready for you.
2: Sure, and that's the big thing is, Be in early. It gives us time to review the tax return. The idea of coming in, dropping off the tax return, or coming in and sitting down and waiting for it, I'm a big believer that you drop off, we prepare it, we review it, and we give some time between delivery to think about things. That gives us some time. Be patient with your CPA. He's got a lot on his plate. We sort of operate in the shadows, and people really don't realize the amount of work and the complexity of what you do. It makes it look very simple when you show up and sign a form. At the end of the day, all you did was sign a form, or all you did was prepare a form. That's not realistically. That's not what we do. There's a lot going on in the background, a lot of training, a lot of expertise. So be patient. We're people, and we get stressed out just like everyone else does.
1: They're missing kids' baseball games. Correct. So uh, don't come in there yelling at your CPA. If
0: we've learned one thing today, it's that if there's a life hack, if you're living in the New Orleans area, you want to beat the rush, get your taxes ready before Mardi Gras. Exactly. Yeah, but the
1: problem is, like, I'm one of those. Like, I want to file, like, as soon as possible. I hate, I hate, hate, hate doing extensions. Like, I want to deal with, mm. I want to deal with last year's problems now because I'm I'm already on 2020 dealing with 2020 issues. I want to plan for 2020. So when you delay and file extensions, you're delaying last year's taxes, last year's problems. So I'm like, I'm always forward thinking like, let's get this behind me. But the problem is I'm waiting for the investment companies to send out 1099s and they have till the end of January, but not really because they come out with revisions. and
2: Correct. And then if you're members of any partnerships or any businesses, they file extensions and there's a good chance that you won't see anything from that until September.
1: I will say this. So if you are self-employed, whether it's a small gig or a side hustle that you want to become your main gig, do not look at a CPA as an expense. A CPA is an investment. I can tell you I have um, saved more money working with CPAs. Uh, I would say Roy, but I've worked with multiple CPAs over my career. Working with CPAs because the tax code is really extensive and it changes regularly. I don't know how y'all keep up with the ever-changing tax. So we just had a big change, and people don't realize this. In December, we had the SECURE Act that was passed. The SECURE Act, there are some implications on, on retirement planning, but also when it comes to trust taxation and, and stretch IRA. there's a lot of tax issues that you guys have to be up to speed on.
2: Not to mention, it's not uncommon for changes to be made to the tax code and make them retroactive back into the prior year that's already been filed. Jeez. We do... Encounter that. That's happening right now, actually. Well, that happened with the big tax code that was passed, uh, the Trump taxes. The
0: TCJA, Tax Cuts and Job Act, in 17, yep. Correct. Yeah. And
1: still, actually, still, waiting, still waiting on guidance from the, the, the IRS on certain things. On certain
2: things. Yeah. And they just recently passed some additional legislation that actually reached back into 2018 for some tax things. So we're actually in the process of not only gearing up for this tax year— we're also going through our clients' tax returns to see who could benefit by going back and amending last year's tax return for changes.
0: Roy, do you go on a nice vacation around May after all this is done? Yes. I do not envy.
1: I do not envy. Other than maybe the pizza and the free king cake, other than that I don't envy CPAs. No. I appreciate y'all, but
2: <laughs> <laughs> not many people and this is is interesting. Not many CPAs have their children follow them in their footsteps.
0: I can see that. It is uh your kid going to follow you?
2: No. no. Hopefully he does something.
0: He probably, no. He'll be a starting center fielder for the Boston Red Sox. That would be great. Yeah, man. Well,
1: anyway, um, <laughs> Roy, this is great, man. I appreciate you uh, taking time.
0: We'll be sure to send you a king
1: cake. Sure. In appreciation.
0: That's okay. Keep it. In the meantime, Roy, if we want to send you some business, if there's uh, somebody that needs help, wants to look at their uh, taxes with a CPA, where are the best ways to reach you?
2: So you can call our offices. Phone number for our offices are 504 504- 267-4427. You can also send an email to rtaylor at twcpas.net, and we would love to hear from you. And we'll put all that in the show notes as well, Jag, right? Absolutely. And same with your
1: contact info, Eric, which if you want to give yourself a plug while we're here. Yeah, absolutely. He reached out to me. I love planning, planning with people, I love working with CPA. So whether you're... You love planning wisely plan wisely so whether you have an existing cpa and you want that element of working with a financial planner i love it best way is always to hit me up on uh, email eric at plan-wisely.com e-r-i-k at plan-wisely.com that'll be in the show notes
0: pleasure as always talking to both of you and i'm going to go on your facebook page eric and look at some kink cake and get jealous (laughs) go for it man (laughs) Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group, LLC. New Century Financial Group, LLC, Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., and Garcia Financial Group, LLC do not offer tax advice or tax services. Please consult your tax specialist for individual advice. We make no specific comments or recommendations on any tax-related details. Entities listed are not affiliated.